This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny, and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. The party arrived back in Halstone after their expedition to the Four Rivers Mine, heading straight to the barracks to debrief with the Reeve, Brannock. After relaying the events at Four Rivers and their return journey, Brannock promised that they would be rewarded before turning his attention to their companion's prisoner, Redwald. In a flashback, we heard how back in Godsport, Lena's lover, Merrin, had insisted on keeping their affair secret. We also learnt how not all priests regularly received the word and how Lena was already questioning the conventions of the church, leaving Merrin to warn of speaking heresy, lest Lena be pursued by the brethren of the purifying light. Back in the present, Redwald was resisting Brannock's interrogation when Lena declared that there was another way. The cleric prayed for and received the miracle Cause Fear, terrifying Redwald into confessing his allegiance to the brethren and also revealing the name of his superior, Maelor as the man meddling in a dispute between Lord Polbear and Lord Conwyn. Chapter 19, Part 1, Day 25 the hour of the seventh bell. Party status. Lena, 16 out of 16 hit points. Spells available. Lena can pray for two first level miracles. Lena walked purposefully through the streets of Halstone towards the sound of a tolling bell. The late spring sky was clear and filled with the golden light of dawn. The air was pleasantly cool and fresh. Folk were beginning to go about their business. Fishermen in waxed leather tunics made their way towards the harbour. Blacksmiths lit the fires of their forges, whilst bakers stacked loaves of freshly baked bread in the serving windows of their bakeries. And tempting though the aroma was, Lena did not stop to buy a loaf. As she turned a corner, a large seagull sat atop a thatched roof, crooning loudly, as if in competition with the bells. You'll do well for the choir, the cleric said with a smile. She was happy. Lena had awoke early that morning, as she often did, but today saw the arrival of her woman's curse, and she had need of things to deal with it. Curse it would have been ordinarily, but ever since she had left Godsport, 
she had feared that she carried Merrin's child, so the coming of her menses, for once, was a welcome relief. Down in the barroom of the anchor, the innkeeper and his wife had already been setting up for the day. Lena had discreetly approached the wife, a matronly woman with a gap-toothed smile as broad as her hips, who was only too happy to help the young cleric. After the companions had reported to the reeve, and Lena's interrogation of Redwald, Brannock had ordered the man to be taken to the dungeon, and after which he had relayed that which had happened in their absence. The reeve had told the companions how Lord Conwyn had ordered him to release the priest, Helnoth. His liege did not wish to come into conflict with the church, for it held sway with the king. But Conwyn equally had no love for the brethren, whom he saw as dangerous fanatics, and so he had commanded that Kaelnoth be banished from his lands. Brannock had felt his lord's displeasure at his rashness, not least because Conwyn felt obliged to send his personal chaplain, Father Osbert, to Halstone to tend the temple until a new priest could be found. But now, Brannock saw an opportunity to regain his lord's favour through the treasure recovered by the party from the crypt of King Vortigern. Lena continued on, and soon she crossed the bridge to the western part of the town and approached the temple. Brannock had told the companions that Father Osbert was a man to be trusted, and Lena had decided to seek out the priest to hear what news he had. She climbed the steps and pushed open one half of the heavy arched door. The temple was empty, save for an old woman in peasant clothes who sat alone on a pew near the door and a dishevelled looking priest who was tending the altar. The old woman's head was bowed in prayer and she did not look up. Lena proceeded down the nave towards the priest, who had stopped his work and was watching her approach. Lena remembered the last time she had been in the temple, how Kernoth had lecherously gazed upon her, how she felt him undress her with his eyes. She shuddered at the memory. She pushed the thought of it away as she came close to the altar. The priest was smiling warmly. He was perhaps fifty years old. His grey hair was wild and unkempt, and out of turn for a priest, he wore a short beard. His blue eyes were surrounded by the creases of someone who smiles frequently, and Lena thought he struck an unusual figure. A good day, the priest said amicably. I am Osbert. The blessing of the nine be upon you, sister, Osbert said with a slight bow, acknowledging Lena's status. Thank you, father. The blessing of the nine be upon you also. I am Lena of Godsport, Lena replied, affording the priest the same respect. I know who you are. Your reputation precedes you. So, so far, so good. But I want to know what Father Osbert really thinks of Lena. As discussed previously, where there is little or no threat of violence, then I will use a simple charisma check for human and demi-human interactions. Lena's charisma is 13, and as she is speaking to a fellow member of the clergy, I am going to award her a plus one, meaning she will need to roll a 14 or less for a positive reaction. Here is the roll. An 8. Okay. So now we've established that reaction is positive, 
I am going to roll some dice to determine what useful information Osbert might be able to divulge. Firstly, I want to know how much Father Osbert knows about the Brethren, and their influence in Paramore. I am going to roll a d6. On a roll of 1 or 2, he has only passing knowledge and rumour. A roll of 3 to 5, he has moderate knowledge. And a roll of 6 will mean he has detailed knowledge of the cult. Here is the roll. A 4. So Osbert has moderate knowledge of the Brethren. OK, I think I'm going to spend a few minutes making a table of things which Osbert might be able to tell Lena. I'll be right back. OK, I'm back. The table I've created has 12 pieces of information. Some are more useful than others. And I'm going to roll four times using a d12. And those will be the things that Osbert knows. Here we go. A six. A seven. A five. And a one. Right, let's get back to the story. Lena could not hide her surprise. Oh? Osbert smiled again, and gestured with his hand that they might be seated. Why yes, when Branagh came to Castle Trevenet, I was with Lord Conwen when the Reeve spoke of you. And of course, I speak with the Branagh most days. He has told me what you did two nights hence. It was not I, father. It was Our Lady Mithra who exposed the false prophet. Lena countered modestly. Ah, well, your humility is virtuous, but it was, after all, your prayer that Our Lady answered. Lena simply nodded. But it's not just that. I knew your father, in God's port. Truly? Y yes. I was the chaplain to the elderman for a time. We have actually met before, once, when you were a child, and what a remarkable young woman you have become. Lena blushed. Forgive me, I remember not. Oh, there's nothing to forgive. Why would a child remember a dusty old priest? Lena smiled. The world is indeed small, but how came you to power more? For a moment there was a flicker of sadness in the priest's eyes. But as soon as it had come, it was gone. Just let us say that your father and I did not see eye to eye. I... I am sorry, Lena said, embarrassed. Father can be a difficult man. <laughs> yes, he, he can, but please do not take that upon yourself. Your father is a good man. Ruthless, yes, but he's loyal and efficient and does the Ottoman's will. In any case, much of the problem is my own doing. How so, if you do not mind me asking? N not at all. You see, I have a, a terrible habit of telling the truth. And in politics, the truth is best used sparingly. But you did not come to chit-chat about him. How can I help? Lena shifted in her seat. I wonder what you might know of the Brethren of the Purifying Light. Osbert's demeanour became instantly serious. More than I care to, but 
is for certain. I had heard of them when I was in Godsport, Lena explained, and I know they were banished, but they seem active here in Paramour. Osbert sighed. He looked troubled. <sighs> yes, indeed. It seems that one cannot escape the evil dogma. You see, the brethren were the reason I left Godsport. What happened? Lena asked. In those days, the brethren were tolerated in Godsport. They were seen as fundamentalists rather than fanatics. The few mages that came to the city were careful to be discreet. And while there was an ancient law making witchcraft punishable by death, it had not been invoked for over 200 years, and the authorities were happy to turn a bland eye. Osbert paused for a moment to look at the huge circular glass window behind the altar. As the Erdemann's chaplain, it was my duty to undertake the education of the children. His niece, Edith, was ever such a precocious child, and shortly after she turned 13, something extraordinary happened. I remember Edith. She was a year older than I. Lena interjected. Osbert turned back to the cleric. Indeed. Well, we were in the classroom one day. I remember I was teaching the parable of the owl. By the window there was a vase of roses. Edith was upset because the flowers were dead, and they were from her elder sister's wedding. She was sobbing and went to throw them away, but as she touched them, the flowers sprang back into bloom. <gasps> Lena let out a small gasp. She had the sight? I thought that was just a rumour. Osbert nodded. Yes. I asked her if anything like that had happened to her before, and she said it had. I didn't know what to do, so I went to your father. He said he would take care of it, and told me not to speak of it to anyone. But as I said, I have a terrible habit of telling the truth. What happened? I was called to see the High Seer. He said he'd heard a rumor about Edith. No doubt the other children had talked to the nurses. A fortress is no place to keep a secret. Anyway, the High Seer asked me directly if Edith was a witch. What was I to do? I had to speak the truth. A tear welled up in the priest's eye, which he wiped away. Lena briefly put her hand on his. And the problem, though, was not the High Seer. It was his private secretary, a young priest called Reynard of Harburg, a foreigner. Reynard! Lena exclaimed. He was the cleric who came to Halstone and murdered Valen's master. Yes, he has been in the room when the High Seer questioned me. No one knew before that he was a member of the Brethren. Soon more of them arrived in the city. They held protests outside the fortress, all led by Reynard. He was quite the demagogue. He demanded that Edith be put on trial for being a witch. He said the Elderman was protecting his own. Well, perhaps he was. The authorities closed the protest down, and the Alderman repealed the law on witchcraft and passed a new one, banishing members of the Brethren on pain of death. Osbert smiled with grim irony. <laughs> but, of course, the whole affair was a great embarrassment for the Alderman. Edith was sent away, I know not where, and I was removed as chaplain. 
After that, I could not find another position. I was scorned. So I left. I came here. But now, the brethren haunt me again. For a moment there was silence. The old woman at the back of the temple coughed, <coughs> got up and left. Finally, Lena found her voice. I am sorry for what happened to you, and for my father's part in it. Do not be sorry. In truth, I have been happy here. And what of the brethren? What do you know of them here in Paramour? When Brannock reported that the brethren had come to Halstone, I made some inquiries with the fellow members of the clergy. It would seem that the brethren have established significant influence in Trevance, where the king holds court. They undermine the high seer there, and rumour has it that the king's son, Tristan, has fallen under their sway. That is why Lord Coleman ordered Kaelmoth's police. He could not risk the king's displeasure. And no doubt that snake Kaelmoth has gone there to worm his way back to Renard. Lena got to her feet and walked to the altar, considering everything that Osbert had told her. The sun flooded through the huge stained glass window and she basked in the light. A minute passed. When I first received the word, the cleric spoke without turning around. Solon spoke to me. He told me that the Brethren's ideology was heresy to the Nine. She turned around to face the priest. He commanded me to cut out their poison. And that is exactly what I shall do. Behind the screen. You may be wondering why I chose to include the reality of Lena's female biology at the start of this episode's narrative, particularly as this is a subject that can be taboo for some people. Well, one of my goals for this solo game and podcast is to create for myself, and I hope you the listener, a deep sense of immersion in the secondary world that is emerging. In order to achieve that, I'm trying to make the fantasy grounded meaning that people, places and events should feel as real as possible. Well, as much as they can be in a fantasy setting. This includes the characters and my experience of them. Learning who they are and watching their personalities develop is as fascinating and captivating to me as getting to know people in my real life. Of course, in becoming so invested in my characters, it does mean that should any of them die, then the emotional payback is likely to be intense. And that is exactly what I want. Now. This is not to say that I am keeping track of Lena's monthly cycle, nor will it have any bearing in game terms. Rather, that on this one occasion, I am acknowledging the reality of Lena being a woman, and because it had relevance to the cleric's backstory. With that explanation out of the way, let's focus back on the game. The party arrived back in Halstone on the evening of day 23, and it's now day 25. This has given the party an opportunity to rest, but also resupply. I did not think a shopping trip would be interesting to describe in the narrative, so I'll cover it here. Brannock had the companions' armour and weapons repaired and serviced, as well as rewarding them with a purse of 20 gold pieces. In addition, Brannock offers a further 220 gold pieces for Vortigan's sword, armour and shield, 
which whilst is less than their value, the companions accept, as they have no one else to sell them to in a small town, and they are too cumbersome to carry around in the long term. With their new wealth, Lena's stolen pack and its contents are replaced. And in addition, the party purchases the following. Five flasks of oil, 20 arrows, two helmets, one each for Lena and Beric, two tents, five torches, and Keir trades in his short sword for a long sword, increasing the damage he can deal from 1d6 to 1d8. The party also sell the two bronze short swords from the crypt for a total of 16 gold pieces. Everything accounted for, including the accommodation and food costs at the anchor, leaves the party with 244 gold and 178 silver. Okay, with that done, let's get back to the story. Chapter 19, Part 2, Day 25, Midday. Party status. Beric, 23 out of 23 hit points. Lena, 16 out of 16 hit points. Kia, 10 out of 10 hit points. Valen, 11 out of 11 hit points. Spells available. Valen has memorized Push, Shield, and Soothe. Lena can pray for two first level miracles. Bright sunshine warmed the companions as they rode north from Halstone. Beyond the town, the elevation of the land had risen quickly, forming a rugged and unforgiving coastline. Looking westward from the road offered an unbroken vista of the rich turquoise blue water of the Great Western Ocean. A hundred yards or so out to sea, a colony of grey seals were basking on some exposed rocks, lazily watching a half a dozen fishing boats at work. Meanwhile, the east side of the road was lined with the northernmost reaches of the Hartwood, where a multitude of spindly silver birch dominated with their bright green arrowhead leaves. The companions had agreed to accompany Brannock to Castle Trevenid to meet with Lord Conwyn, and they now rode on horses borrowed for the journey. Along with three soldiers of the garrison, one of whom led a horse which carried the bound prisoner, Redwald. Brannock rode at the head of the party, with Beric and Keir next. Behind them were Lena and Valen, who were followed by a soldier guiding Redwall's horse, and the final two soldiers forming the rear guard. Beric kicked his horse forward to come alongside the reeve. Brannock looked over at the big man. What's on your mind? He said, anticipating a question. Lord, will the evidence against Palmyra lead to war? To the point, good man, the reeve said giving a rare smile. It's hard to say. Lord Carmen is young, but don't let that fool you. He has his father's wit and guile. He is a capable man. But surely he cannot let Polmere act with impunity. No, he cannot, and he will not. But there are never winners in war. In any case, the evidence suggests Polmere is being manipulated. He was ever greedy and such men are easy to control. There are other actors at play on this stage. The Brethren. Aye, the Brethren. My lord has no love for them, nor the dogma that drives them. How so? Is he not a pious man? 
Gwarath chuckled. <laughs> Power more is not gospel, my friend. The reef explained. The spiritual conscience of the land is mixed. Most folks still revere the old ways, as much as they do the knowing, even if they're discreet about it. And in truth, we see no conflict in that. But the brethren, well, those zealous would have us abandon the old ways completely. And the more they gain influence, the more likely there'll be a war. A war for the soul of the land. Granite sighed. But what do I know? I'm just a soldier. And truth be told, I like it that way. The distance from Halstone to Castle Trevenit is just 25 miles, so on horseback the journey will take just a half a day at a trot. Still, I am going to make a wandering encounter check and rule that there is a 1 in 6 chance of something happening. Here is the roll. A 2. Very well, the journey is uneventful. Chapter 19, Part 3, Day 25, Early Evening Party Status The party status is unchanged. Castle Trevenid appeared to rise out of the very ocean itself, like a kraken from legend. The fortress had been visible at least a mile away, as the coastline bent around, standing proud and defiant against the waves, upon a high rocky peninsula that was practically an island. Situated as it was, the fortress would have been impossible to capture, save from a head-on assault across the bridge that spanned the gulf high above the rocks which connected the peninsula to the mainland, and that would have been surely suicide for any would-be attackers. A village had built up on the mainland opposite, existing in symbiosis with the castle, one providing food and services, and the other protection in times of trouble. By the time the party reached the village, most of the inhabitants had already returned to their homes, or else were in the alehouse, which along with a small temple were the two largest buildings in the settlement. The weather-beaten sign above the door of the alehouse was painted with a white stag, and the building itself was clearly too small for its patrons, some of whom had spilled outside and were laughing raucously. <laughs> Ahead. A patrol of half a dozen soldiers were marching down the dirt street from the direction of the castle. On noticing the party, they came forward to challenge, but quickly recognised Brannock, and instead stood to attention. At ease, Brannock commanded. My lord, the leader said with a short bow of his head. Is my lord Carmen at home? The reeve inquired. He is, my lord. Brannock nodded towards the group outside the alehouse. See, they do not break the last piece. The soldier nodded again. The party continued on, passing through the village until they came to a fortified wall and gatehouse, which stood at the threshold of the bridge that led to the stronghold. The soldiers here also recognised Brannock, and presently the huge gates were opened. 
Beyond, the timber bridge ran for 60 feet before terminating at a second gatehouse. The waves crashed and roared on the rocks below, and hundreds of kittiwakes could be seen settling to roost on the cliffside. The setting sun caused the sea to glisten like gold, and the sky was a myriad of yellows, oranges and pinks. The companions crossed the bridge and passed through the gates to find themselves in a cobbled courtyard. It was immediately clear that the fortress was undergoing an evolution. An earth rampart topped with a wooden palisade encircled most of the fortress, save for the area facing the mainland, which had been replaced with stone battlements. Within the fortifications, many of the buildings were a mix of stone, timber and wattle and daub. In the centre, an earlier mead hall stood adjacent to a raised stone keep, and on the east was a chapel. Braddock led them to the stables, where three boys came quickly to attend to the horses. The companions alighted, and the party crossed the courtyard and climbed the stairs into the keep. The reeve led them down a short corridor, flanked by rooms on either side, until they came to a set of heavy doors. The guards nodded to Brannock, who turned and addressed the companions. Stay behind me. Bow when I do, and do not speak unless the Lord addresses you first. The companions nodded their understanding. Brannock pushed open the doors and they followed him through. The hall was an impressive space, with two rows of arched pillars and some 60 feet long by 40 feet wide. The high ceiling was vaulted and on the right were two tall lancet windows and an arched doorway which led out to a small courtyard garden. To the left was a great hearth in which a fire burned and all about the walls were decorated with a number of beautifully crafted tapestries. At the far end of the space, a score of men and women, some richly dressed and others mailed, sat on two tables running lengthways, and directly ahead was a raised dais, upon which, sat on ornately carved thrones, were a man and a woman. All eyes turned towards the party as Brannock led them forward, their footsteps echoing off the walls. As they came near to the dais, the companions could see that the couple were probably no older than their mid-twenties. The woman was strikingly beautiful. Her hair was dark, almost black, and worn in elaborate braids, whilst her eyes were a pale blue and flashed with intelligence. She wore an exquisite gown of dark red velvet trimmed with gold, which complemented the jewellery about her neck. The man was as handsome as the woman was beautiful, and he too had dark hair which was wavy and hung loose to his shoulders, though his eyes were grey. He wore a long belted tunic in the same colour as the woman's gown, and upon his head was a circlet of polished bronze. The pair observed the companions with curiosity, as Brannock stopped a dozen paces from the dais and dropped to one knee, bowing his head. My lord, my lady. The pair remained seated, and the man simply gestured that Brannock may rise. The reeve got to his feet. Brannock, the man said. My faithful Brannock, I hope this time the tidings are glad. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I hope you enjoyed the show. As this was a slightly longer episode, I'll keep this brief. Where would I be without my small but growing list of voice talent? Making their debut on the show is Adam Powell from the excellent Snyder's Return podcast. 
and making their return to the show, this time as the present Lord Conwyn, is Che Webster. Che is the host of the Must Listen Roleplay Rescue podcast. I recently recorded an interview with Che for his season 11, in which I talk about how I solo play. Thank you both so much for your contribution. The show is so much richer for it. I'll drop links to Snyder's Return and Roleplay Rescue in the show notes. You can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements, or by recommending the show online or to a friend. I would also love to know what you think of the show, and I do respond to every message I receive. So with that in mind, you can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Mastodon at LegendBones, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at LegendOfTheBones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventures as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Snyder's Return is a tabletop role-playing game interviews and actual play podcast. We interview content creators, Twitch streamers, and fellow podcasters, and we put out our own actual play using a variety of different systems. So come and join us, come and have a listen. You can find us on Twitter at Return Snyder. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or check out our website at www.snidersreturn.squarespace.com.